0: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the I guess that's why they call it the Elton John podcast podcast. After quite a few chewy episodes recently I wanted to do something light and digestible so this is what I came up with an episode about some of the unresolved mysteries of Elton's catalogue. Some of these we can listen to and we will do today. These are the songs with the bizarre credits that surely have to be wrong and also the songs where some fans hear elton's voice or hallmarks of his songwriting or piano playing and other fans hear nothing of the sort but i'm going to start off with the things that i can't play and these are the collections the sessions and the individual tracks that are more fable than fact The things that people say they've heard, as well as the straight up hoaxes, such as the world of rarities trading and collecting. You hold your cards close to your chest and you only give away what you need to. And there's bluff and there's bluster and there's downright bad sportsmanship. And just like the real game of poker, this pastime has got all of the right ingredients for distrust and fallings out. And that's exactly what's happened over the years, according to the collectors that I've spoken to. <laughs> Might
1: have been a beat, but it could have been the coast of Spain. On a clapped out on the radio, I thought I heard his name. I was just another hippie then with my copy of rolling stone A back full of hashish that I was trying to smuggle home And where were you?
0: Exhibit 1 is Flights of Fancy, which was an entirely imaginary CD collection, compiling a few well-known outtakes, such as The Year of the Teddy Bear and Bobby Goes Electric, which I'm talking over, along with some totally made-up titles, such as Terminal 5 at JFK and Departed Like an Angel, this made-up collection, I'm informed by the person who compiled it, was invented to provide that collector with some leverage against other collectors who, he considered, had been double dealing him. In that sense, it was payback, and in the end this, and also his invention of several other titles on message boards, such as The Ballad of William Howard and God Kicked the Shit Out of the Sun, That all served as this collector's grand bowing out from the collecting scene. And he says he ended up with a black mark on his name as a result of it all. So anyway, the moral of this is do not waste energy chasing after Flights of Fancy Volume 1 because it simply doesn't exist. Volumes 2 and 3 do exist. They were made up by an opportunistic bootlegger compiling rare tracks and bravely burning them to CDR and I've seen these collections go for upwards of 500 pounds but as more and more of these tracks get uploaded here and there their value is ebbing away and as far as I can tell most of the tracks on the CDR come from mp3 sources incidentally so you lose nothing ...from downloading them from YouTube, if that's your thing. Let's go back to Volume 1 for a moment. As well as confirming to me some of the titles of tracks that he made up... ...the person that compiled this has also confirmed the titles that he didn't. Admittedly, he hasn't heard them, that's kind of the point... ...but he knows people who have heard these tracks. So TikTok is one of them, supposedly from the Made in England sessions... And another one um, that I'm sure some people have heard is Surviving Crash and Burn. Great title, that, Bernie. It comes from the songs from the West Coast era. And when you talk to collectors, this category of things they're pretty sure exist, but haven't actually heard, often comes up. And I thought I'd do a bit of a rundown. There's a song called Fingerprints, apparently, again, from songs From the West Coast, there are tracks called Leaves and Skin, which um, don't circulate. And then there's Hell, which does circulate now from the Made in England era. There's a song called Taxi Dancing. Um, It was written and not used for the one. Skipping back a bit to 87, there's the hilariously titled Welcome to My Haunted Heart, which is from the Red Strikes Back era. I've also heard reference to the fact that there was a great deal of unused material which featured Nigel and D. don't know if it's just vocals or if they were playing um, from that same era um, which possibly was material from the Leather Jackets era like hangover material um, but it didn't make the cut and in the end Elton ended up starting the album again. That's apparently the story. Um, one of those uh, leather jackets demos that doesn't circulate is called love rusts by the way Um, then i'm going to jump back 10 years um i've had the song title city of blue from blue moves i've had that confirmed to me in the same manner um Apparently, there are demos of Supercool and Lonnie and Josie. I'd love to hear them. Someone's heard them, apparently. And there's also at least a lyric from this era called Gotta Get Back to England. Then going back further, how about a country song from the Honky Chateau sessions called Spoons? How about a gorgeous ballad called I'll Be There Tomorrow? same era how about a track that was sort of similar to i think i'm gonna kill myself only it was slower and funkier and that was called tell me what the doctor said i really want these to be true i want them to come up um in uh, when the 50-year anniversary comes out we'll find out won't we maybe uh, there's supposed to be a recording of elton and leon russell playing their most recent albums to one another in a living room. I don't know if that means playing them on the piano or playing them on a record player. It was from 1972 again, so that's Honky Chateau and probably Leon's Carney. In the same vein, there's supposed to be a recording of Elton and Rod Stewart jamming together into the small hours. I don't know what era that's from. And then going back a little further... There's apparently a cover that some people have heard of the Tommy Tucker song, High Heel Sneakers, which Elton recorded in 1971. Let's have a little bit of that original track and think about whether or not we can picture Elton tackling it.
1: Put on your red dress, baby, don't we? Put on your red dress, baby, Lord, we going out tonight. Been with some boxing gloves in case some fool might wanna find
0: have done who knows maybe it was part of the process of working through possible songs for the long John Baldry album this is all he said she said and trying to find any hard evidence for any of this is extremely difficult one place to look though is copyright registrations and there we can indeed find reference to Elton John Bernie Taupin compositions entitled tell me what the doctor said leaves, and gotta get back to England. There are several other titles on the list that don't mean that much to me, but one does stand out. this isn't Elton this song was recorded by a chap called Oliver Ryman back in 2005 as his entry to a songwriting competition hosted on the Hercules message board to find the best setting for Bernie's lyric Dogs in the Kitchen as found in the lyrics book of Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Ryman came in fourth Um, But I think his is the most interesting rendering of the lot, and he sounds uncannily like a late 90s Elton at times. Anyway, I'm playing this because, yes, on the registrations list, there is a record of an Elton John Bernie Taupin song called Dogs in the Kitchen. I'd always thought that Elton hadn't actually tackled it, but I'm starting to think I was wrong. Not only do we have the copyright registration, but Elton apparently spoke about the song during a playback of the album. I can't confirm this directly, unfortunately. It comes via a Elton John researcher who unfortunately can't find the article he's quoting, but he says that it comes from a Robert Christgau article, possibly from Cream or Circus, in 1975 where he talks about the playback. This is apparently what he says he heard Elton say. That's a bit convoluted, isn't it? Anyway, he says this. The first track didn't make the album. It was just too long a song. Maybe it will come out on another album someday, but we included the lyric because of the story. I'd be extremely keen to know if anyone can confirm this or provide the article for me. If this is true, then presumably Elton will have demoed this track, at least at the piano. Whether or not we'll ever get to hear it is anyone's guess. Maybe we already have. Some or all of the musical elements of the song might have been used later on for a different song. Who knows? Who knows? This is the mantra for this episode. It's time to move on, though, to the main dish of the episode or the entree as they very confusingly say, in the United States, moving on to the set of songs that are contested, as far as Elton's involvement goes. For these, I'm going to try to present the evidence in as neutral a manner as possible, and then I'll give you the opportunity to vote on whether or not you think Elton is involved. There's a link in in the episode description to have a listen to each of the songs and then to make your voice heard i'll update the episode description with a link to the results within a reasonable time frame and i'll put it on the facebook group as well maybe we can get consensus on some of these you never know we're going to start in episode 18 territory elton's anonymous budget cover versions as it stands The earliest known of these is the Dave D, Dozy B, Mick and Titch song, Snake in the Grass, which was released on Top of the Pops Volume 5 in May 1969. Recently, though, some Elton John collectors have been passing around a recording of the track Where Do You Go To My Lovely, originally by Peter Sarsdett, from Top of the Pops, Volume 4, which was released in March 1969. If this is Elton, it would be one of the earliest known examples of him doing one of these covers. Um, It would have been recorded a little bit after Empty Sky. And there's some sense to this, because it seems that he was involved with Hallmark's Top of the Pops imprint before he did the covers for Avenue Records. Also, Elton's French isn't non-existent and he's got a pretty decent accent. So that helps as well, because that's how this song is delivered in a COD French accent. Incidentally, Sarstet himself was no more authentic than whoever this was. He was putting the accent on too. So anyway, it's time to decide, could this be Elton in 1969 putting on a French accent?
2: And a friend of Sasha Distel Yes you do But where do you go to my lovely When you're alone in your bed Tell me the thoughts that surround you I want to look inside your head Yes I do I've seen all your qualifications you got from the Sorbonne And the painting you stole from Picasso Your loveliness goes on and on Yes it does When you go on your summer vacation You go to joanne Le With your carefully designed topless swimsuits You get an even suntan On your back and on your legs for me,
0: there are bits where it has to be him, and then there are bits where it sounds n- nothing like him at all. Don't be swayed by me, though. I'm just the messenger. Since this question got asked, it split the community pretty much down the middle. Maybe in your response to the online questionnaire, you can help a consensus be formed one way or the other. Staying in the same domain, probably one of the final budget questions Covers that was attributed to Elton is Natural Sinner, the original version of which was released by Andy Fairweather Lowe in July 1970. But, as I mentioned in episode 18, Elton talks about the song Jack in the Box in the context of these recordings. He does that in an interview with Paul Gambaccini, which I've worked out was conducted in April 1973. So here then is the cover of Jack in the Box, as released on Avenues, England's top 12 hits in February 1971. The original was the UK's entry for the Eurovision Song Contest that year, and it came a rather dismal fourth.
2: Don't say you'll put me down Love, don't go away Drop my feet back on the ground Open your arms, let me stay Hold me like you know you should
0: This all begs the question, why mention this particular song in 1973? Either, one, he really did play on the song. Two, it's just a random camp song that he pulled out of the air. Or three, he had a reason to be thinking about it. He'd recently been reminded of it. I think I can actually prove option three, but that doesn't rule out one. But anyway, option three could be true. Elton was in the UK on the 6th of December 1972 recording Crocodile Rock in the studio for Top of the Pops, which was broadcast the following day, Thursday the 7th of December. We don't have this episode it was hosted by Jimmy Savile which is probably why it hasn't been rebroadcast on the BBC. Elton was there with Mark Bolan who was doing his song Solid Gold Easy Action. Anyway would Elton have been watching the episode the following day? You bet he would. You can picture Elton and his crew in the front room of his house in Virginia Water at 8pm that night with Top of the Pops drawing to a close. Then they had a couple of hours of evening TV to sit through. Sykes, a comedy starring Eric Sykes and Hattie Jakes. Holiday 73 with Cliff Mitchell Moore. Then the 9 o'clock news, which would have been full of stories of the Apollo 17 launch. Then a drama called Cold It's. Presumably they'll have stretched their legs, drunk some Watney's Red Barrel, and had some cheese on toast at some point during the evening. But then, at a quarter past ten, I bet you anything they were back in front of the telly for episode eight of the third series of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Well, I never. We are now in the Alp Maritime region, of southern France. Cloda seems more intent on reaching Moscow than on rehearsing her new BBC Two series with Buddy Rich and the younger generation. Oh, hello. We cannot stay here.
1: We must leave immediately. There is a ship in Marseille. I did enjoy your song for Europe,
3: Clodagh. <laughs> She's an agent in a town. My life is in danger. Danger, Clodagh? Stalin has always hated me. No
0: one hates you, Clodagh? I will not
3: let myself fall into the hands
0: of this scum! I think you should go and have a little lie down, my dear. There's a busy day tomorrow of concerts and promotional tours. I!
1: Who
3: is one of the founders of the greatest nation on earth? Hey! Home land is... it's God! greatest friend. friend! TESZEVOU! vous Oh, dear. AYE! What work? Get out of my My people should live! TESZEVOU! Qu'est-ce que la police? C'est impossible!
1: Oh, uh, my name is Pither. Are you English? Uh, yes, that's right. I'm on a cycling tour of North Cornwall, taking in... How oh, is that, Peter that? I will return to my country to fight against this new tyranny! Now, uh, this is Clodagh Rodgers, the employee <laughs> oh, oui, the Clodagh Rodgers, jack-in-the-box. I'm just, just uh, the box, a jack-in-the-box, right? like, and I'm way right? And I'm down. down on my string. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: not exactly Classic Python, but probably one of the more goon like episodes featuring, as it did, one whole story across the whole episode rather than lots of single sketches stitched together, as had been the norm up to that point. So, this could have been why it was on Elton's mind. It was a fairly cool, fairly current reference for fans of absurdist comedy but what about option one anyway does that have any legs at all might elton actually have worked on the budget cover of this song listening to the song there's no trace of elton on there there's a lot going on but what about the other songs on england's top 12 hits from february 1971 well i bought the album to check it out And my attention was immediately drawn to the Gilbert O'Sullivan song Underneath the Blanket Go. Here's a bit of the original. This was the follow-up to Gilbert's number 8 hit, Nothing Rhymed. It was expected to be a hit, that's why it was included on England's top 12 hits from February 71, but in reality it only just made it into the charts, stalling at number 40. Still, who was going to be having a go at this track from the Avenue stable? Surely not Elton. He was back now from his second jaunt across the US, and he was in the middle of a UK tour... But it's not impossible. He was regularly back in London recording studios during February. He was producing his side of Long John Baldry's It Ain't Easy and recording Leave On and Goodbye for Madman. So the timing means it's possible, but is it likely? Would he be messing around doing budget covers at this time? He was a rising star in the States. But in the UK, his breakthrough was happening around him at that time with your song. Who knows how much actual money Elton had at the turn of 1971. But even then, money probably wasn't the driving factor behind this kind of activity for Elton. This is the same Elton that reportedly carried on taking shifts at Musicland after coming back from his success in the States. So there's really no telling with him. And you can imagine him relishing the task of taking on Gilbert O'Sullivan's unusual little rocker. Whether it's him or not, it's an unbelievably adept bit of piano playing, way more interesting and agile than Gilbert's playing in the original. I heard Elton on piano when I heard this track, but I've had correspondents who've surprised me by telling me that they hear him on vocals. I'm not so sure. Whoever's singing is hamming up the Gilbert O'Sullivan impression fantastically. But then again, there are some uncanny moments where it sounds just like Elton, particularly the very first ad-lib line. So finally, we reach the point, after a considerable diversion, sorry about that, to have a listen to the vocal, to check out this masterful bit of piano playing and decide, do we hear Elton?
1: joy You see I've something that people claim to bring me fortune and instant fame, got face so ugly you could hardly blame anybody here for saying so I think is it safe to be that way? Oh, why the girl just looked at me and smiled, woo! Instead of looking at me as though I was a mite and before I go to bed, gaily underneath the blanket go.
0: on over to the link on the episode description and tell me whether or not i'm hearing things next up the evergreen mystery that is chinese lady a hitherto unknown acetate which fetched a nice round 500 pounds on ebay back in 2012 As far as the auction description goes, this one comes entirely unencumbered by any documentary evidence or context. The acetate has no identifying features, just a title. According to YouTube uploader Richard Vollin, the seller informed him that the acetate was one of a cache of publisher demos from Carlin Music, who were a music publisher. This sounds like a good lead, but it really isn't. I don't see much of a connection between Elton and Carlin, although I'm happy to be shown otherwise. Here is the snippet of the song that we've got. I've been able to get this cleaned up a little bit, so it's a bit better than the version that circulates.
2: All days I feel I don't understand that i plan planning to, to get out of town I smile just a little as I watch you There are days I feel that I want to die Try to keep alive against all the lies I feel I'm being used
4: Chinese ladies
0: gets me about this track is no matter who wrote it what a great tune it is i can't see why it wouldn't have got beyond this stage assuming this is elton playing and singing someone else's song for a moment then this would make it one of those publisher demos that he worked on starting as early as 1967 actually um, these were demonstration versions of music that was being published by, say, Mills Music in the first case, and then onwards for other writers. This is one of the most mysterious areas of Elton's early career, totally ripe for research, taking in writers such as Mike Leander, Kipner and Bradley, Spyro and Avon, Finden and Shelley, and of course, Nick Drake john martin how elton ended up in the address book of these writers their publishers and their producer in the case of joe boyd is something for another episode suffice to say that this could be a publisher demo with elton singing someone else's song so in that case the first question we have is whether or not we have elton on vocals here this in itself has split the crowd it sounds quite deep for him at times But then when you attempt to raise the pitch of the song, it doesn't help the situation. This song seems to be happy where it is in E minor. Another aspect of it is the accent. Sometimes it just sounds a little bit too English for Elton when he says can't. Um, This is one that you can make your own judgment on in the online survey. So far, then, we've got a pretty folky tune that either has got a 1969 era Elton on vocals or someone who sounds eerily like him the next puzzler for me is the fact that it sounds a bit like we've got Caleb on guitar here that would set it apart from all of the other publisher demos Elton and Caleb aren't known for doing this kind of work together so is there a chance that this might actually be an Elton John original? I really love Chinese Lady, so I'm going to be biased and say that, yes, I do hear aspects of Elton's writing in here. I adore the block chord vocals that come out of the chorus and then that George Harrison style guitar run that takes us back down into the verse. And that's a verse that's built... Of an elegant set of simple chords. But with a fragile melody. Lightly woven over the top. It feels like one of Elton's to me. Then the chorus sits up into a major key. And it plays around between the major and the minor. To me this is less reminiscent of Elton. It's got these strange desperate vocal cries. Overlaying one another. They don't make a great deal of sense. In this fidelity. Still though. It would have been a strong song for Elton in most eras. Assuming that it predated Empty Sky, wouldn't it have made it onto one of those 1969 releases? Maybe it fell into the gap between the first and the second albums, along with other tracks such as Child. Lyrically, it's anyone's guess. Could this be Bernie? I'll read you a couple of the verses. Some of it I can't work out, but... Here's the first and the last verse. There are times I feel I don't understand. Things I plan seem to get out of hand. I smile just a little as I'm watching you. And then the last verse that we've got. There's a day you know that I'll have to go. So don't say the words that both of us know. Tonight, should I lay beside the love in your eyes? That last line could be a Bernie lyric. The whole thing is... Quite maudlin and unsure of itself in a way that many of Bernie's lyrics were in that era. Then again, it's a straightforward uh, personal love song, which is would we'll be quite early for that for Bernie. Oh, who knows? There's no way of telling. Um, but log on to the survey and you'll be able to give your opinion. Maybe if we get a few responses, we might get something approaching an answer to some of these questions. Here's an obvious link from a Chinese lady. To an Indian Maiden. I noticed that the version on YouTube was drowning in noise reduction. It was gross. So I've gone back as close to the source as I can get. And thank you to David Bodo for his help and for providing this for me. I've done a couple of things with his transfer from the cassette that he owns of this song. He got it via Alan McCormick's Wrap It Up mail order shop in the 90s i've removed one of the channels which was as far as i was concerned blown out with bass and then i've done some extremely light noise reduction on it it's still really hissy but it is a much more satisfying listen than what we've had before so good to have a non-destroyed version of this to listen to we can hear Elton clearly now he's in full gospel mode the tape that this came from had Indian Maiden reminds me of you there is still a little love and I love you and that's all that matters so it's pretty random and Alan noted that the details were unknown for Indian Maiden But I have heard of this song circulating alongside Remember before, which might be a hint as to its vintage. The question I pose is this. When was this written? And by extension, you have to email me this if you've got any comments. Is this a Bernie lyric or a Gary lyric or indeed an Elton John one? Here's the lyrics. Hold your nose for the pun about having a reservation. Got an Indian maiden, I've got a photograph of you and I'm hanging on to every little clue about you. I've got a prepaid reservation, I've got my regulation tan and this child is on his way to Indian land, my Indian maiden. Got an Indian maiden, I've got my Hopi charms in hand and I'm tracking down her footprints in the sand of Indian lands my Indian Maiden, again, and then it goes, Shake it loose, I have no use for city living. Turn my back on the back slap jacks and the madcap women. It's not the most enlightened thing, but that tells us nothing. To me, it sounds out of character for both Gary and for Bernie in different ways, and it would be weird of either of them, I would think, to be echoing Indian Sunset's hoof tracks In the sand, with these footprints in the sand. I mean, who knows? It's not a good lyric. Let's leave it at that. There's something about Elton's voice that seems to me to date it towards the latter half of the 70s, but that's only my opinion. What do you think? When was this recorded? That's the question that's asked in the survey. Okay, time to move on, but it's another sideways step. Let's have a listen to some music from The Mirage, D Murray's first band and stablemates of Elton at DJM during 67 and 68 although they started as early as 65 this is a snippet of the B-side of their cover of Tomorrow Never Knows called You Can't Be Serious written by Dave Hines and released in 1966 I love is
3: strong
4: one girl it won't be long. It's been fighting all the way. Not a good thing here what I say, Hey, 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 you can't be serious. You say I'm gonna love you still. Hey,
0: hey, hey. And here's another Heinz song, Hold On, an A side from 1967. temporary sounding tune, that one a bit like Tame Impala or Temples in places, it's derivative of Taxman but still it's full of original ideas as well. These tracks can all be found on the compilation of their singles and unreleased songs called Tomorrow Never Knows which was released about 10 years ago on RPM Records. Right, here is the brilliantly mad Wedding of Ramona Blair, the follow-up single. (laughs)
4: Gown. Ramona cried on the very new bed. She was on her own, alone on the very same day as the wedding.
0: My point is to note that what we're dealing with here is a guitar band playing songs that they wrote on the guitar. The vocals are interesting, there are plenty of irregular bar lengths, but chord-wise, it's limited. In this one, it's G, E minor, A minor, D, C, and A. There are a couple more involved tunes on this collection. There's Ebenezer Beaver, which is a brilliant song, by the way. It's got a C-sharp minor in it, it's got an F-sharp major, it's actually got a cheeky F minor in there as well there's another track called mrs busby which is also quite involved take a listen but to me they still all sound like guitar songs compare them with this <laughs> The Rain by The Mirage, dated 1968 and credited on the compilation to Dave Hines. First off, I'm pretty sure that this is Elton on piano. Who else would it be at DJM at that time? There are things that mark this out to me as a song that was written on the piano. First off, you've got the descending bass notes as we go down in the intro And same in the chorus, it goes A minor, A minor on G, A minor on F, down to E major. And then secondly, that weird modulation into C minor for the first half of the verse, and then spinning around into C major for the second half of the verse. That's an odd stretch for a guitarist, but it would look quite natural to someone writing on the piano. And there's even a piano solo here, which weirdly takes up the first half of the second verse which again feels like something a trick you might learn from commercial songwriting isn't there a chance that this was written by Elton and never registered never credited then when the acetate was picked up for this reissue people just assumed that it was the work of Dave Hines That's my tentative theory anyway. You can shoot me down by voting on the survey. The lyrics are pretty bland. They don't really help to pinpoint it, unfortunately. Moving on, here's a really strange credit on Discogs regarding Elton. In Romania, in 1975, the vocalist Duena Limbasanu released a three-track single which included Sint Umbra Ta or in English I'm Your Shadow as the second song on the A-side. On the sleeve and on the label it's credited as having been written by Elton John along with a Romanian lyricist. So my question is this. Is this an otherwise unknown elton john or john torpin composition somehow recovered from the depths and then translated into romanian Or, or did elton actually go to romania and do this with a no no i don't think that's very likely or is it just someone miscrediting the song for some weird reason check it out for yourself sint umbrata
2: Dar sunt cu tine zi de zi orișiunde ori unde, unde. te voi însoti când, când faci un gest Chiar zi nu vrei și eu îl fac lângă tine, lângă tine Eu m-am aflat mereu dar tac ce? am ceaba să scap, eu nu te
0: If it is Elton and Bernie, you'd have to date this to the first half of 1968 or before. I don't know how you'd hear any hallmarks of Elton and Bernie in that, since Dick James was the one pulling the strings for this kind of writing. They didn't really have much of a style or voice for the music that they wrote in this genre. Still, does it sound anything like their other music of this type? I Can't Go On Living Without You, The Girl on Angel Pavement, and so on. I'd love to hear whether or not we can get anything approaching a consensus on this one, or more interestingly, whether someone can get some information to me about how this came to be. It's a very fun thought that there might be, or might have been, an Elton John acetate knocking around of a song called I'm Your Shadow, probably fully orchestrated, as many of these things were at the time, and then that somehow found its way to the front of someone's stack of records In Romania, in the mid-70s. Things are getting pretty unknowable now. Back to 1966. The Everly Brothers album, Two Yanks in England, was recorded in May of that year in Pie Studios in London. The Hollies provided the backing and they wrote many of the songs. Recently, Graham Nash has claimed that Jimmy Page played guitar with them and that a certain reg Dwight was on keyboards and this would represent an extremely early bit of session work for Elton still there it is in black and white in Nash's autobiography and there doesn't seem to be much of a reason for him to lie about it the big question for me then is why would Elton himself never have mentioned this surely Recording with the Everleys in 66 would have been a massive thing for him at the time. But then again, maybe Don and Phil weren't actually there when they laid down the backing tracks. It's not that Elton would have been totally starstruck if they had been there anyway with Bluesology. He'd already toured with Major Lance and Doris Troy. And he was in the middle of his second stint with Patti LaBelle at that time in May. It's not like he was being plucked from nowhere. Bluesology were a very handy little band, well known on the circuit, and Reg was a handy little organist. So, is it him? Here, then, is a medley that I've put together of some of the organ playing on the record.
4: Sail away. Floating on the water now is autumn's last farewell. These are
2: signs that will never change, signs that will never change. Pretty Flamingo and every guy will envy me because paradise.
4: Is
3: where I'll be.
4: You
0: This is a great sounding album some awesome guitar on there as well it could be jimmy page uh, for all we know most of all i love that song in the middle there the collector that's why i dwelt on that song for a while most of these were written by l Ransford, which was the pseudonym of alan clark tony hicks and graham nash from the hollies but the collector wasn't it was written by the eveleys along with Sonny Curtis, who was a childhood friend of Buddy Holly, played with him. And after he died, uh, Sonny became the lead singer of the Crickets. He also wrote I Fault the Law and Love Is All Around, so he's got some credentials. The Collector was obviously based on the Terence Stamp film, which had come out just the year before. Sorry, there's a lot of blind alleys and backtracking in this episode, isn't there? Anyway... As far as this album goes I guess we'll never know if we're hearing Elton on keyboard unless he himself confirms it. From what I've seen of demos of the Vox continental organ which I think was still Elton's organ at the time it can make Hammond like sounds and very little else I may be wrong but some of these sounds appear to me to come from a different organ But that proves nothing. Presumably Pi Studios would have had a range of instruments available to the bands that recorded there. Still, I'd be very interested if any listeners can identify the keyboards that we're hearing on these tracks. And I look forward to seeing how the votes settle on the online survey. Time to move on to the last and possibly the silliest of these mystery tracks. A single released um, Christmas 1974 in the UK on Atlantic Records by someone called Ebenezer Moog. Um, The rumour is that this was in fact Elton. This came as a result of the single being re-released the following year on Rocket. And it's there in the Claude Bernardin book as well. By the way, before I go on, can I just say that we're all saying Moog wrong? Here's Robert Moog himself.
2: Well, there are three ways of pronouncing M-O-O-G. Moch, Moog,
0: Moog. I just happen to like the sound of Moog better than Moog. You learn something new every day. Anyway, this single, a Moog-based interpretation of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, backed with Silent Night, does have one name... To look into on the credits, it's down as having been produced by Rob Dickens for WBM Productions or Warner Brothers Music. Rob Dickens was appointed Managing Director of Warner Music Publishing in 1974 at the age of just 23. He was born into it in a way, but he worked his way there. His dad founded the enemy and basically invented the UK singles chart. Rob met the Beatles when he was 13 and he became a bit of a fixture in Soho watching the who he saw basically every gig Hendrix played in London during his teens. And then he got his first job while at university booking bands at Loughborough college, including apparently Rod Stewart and Elton John who he says didn't show up. I can't date this, but it would be somewhere between 1969 and 1971. That doesn't really help, does it? Anyway, he got his start at Warner's in the summer of 1971. Warner's at the time were based at 69, New Oxford Street, next door to DJM at number 71. Hmm. And he went on to work with Madonna, Prince, Cher, Enya, and Rod Stewart, as well as Madness, Echo and the Bunnymen, Julian Cope and the Sex Pistols. He became head of Warners outside of the US in 1983. As to whether he knew Elton in 1974, I have no idea. You could certainly imagine him trying to get hold of Elton's publishing as the 70s progressed. So it's possible that Elton was involved at some level in this weird little music industry christmas in joke i can't imagine him setting up the moog or the envelopes and the filters and the what have you's although he possibly played the notes let's have a listen to the track anyway here's the a side Interesting story, and Dickens is an interesting man. Um, My sense is that Ebenezer, Moog and Dickens are more closely linked than anything else, since the name is a bit of a giveaway. Maybe someone out there knows a bit more about this track. In the meantime, I look forward to counting up the votes that I get. The guessing game has now come to an end. Please, fill out the survey. Um, I'd love to see what people have got to say about these mysterious tracks. If you've got any comments about any of the individual songs, you can drop me an email to eltonpodcast at gmail.com or find me on the Facebook group for the podcast. In the end, we're always taking one step closer to the truth and more fables get struck off the record and more songs and more lyrics come to light more connections and stories get documented and we could start to build up a more detailed picture of elton's musical life i still hold out some hope that there'll be answers to come in the autobiography to some of these questions maybe we're going to find out about those early songs big circle of stone cry willow cry or the lake songs the Swan queen of the laughing lake or lemonade lake or maybe more likely, or just throw up more questions for us to wrestle with. Thanks for listening, and thank you to my correspondents, most recently Lucy Sirkan and Nigel Hill, for emailing me and contacting me on the group. Please remember, if you get the chance to leave a review for the podcast on iTunes, if you've got that monstrosity installed, or with whatever podcast provider you use, and share the podcast with people that you think would be interested. That would be much appreciated. I think it makes sense for us to go out on the most mysterious-sounding Elton John song of all. This has always been one of my favourites. See you next time.
3: i